Hello, thank you for joining me. This is Ernestine Lyons, host of Quick to Politic, the podcast, the social commentary show that explores topics ranging from social justice to history, economics, small business, and of course, local and national politics. Thank you for joining me. Right, we are now live. Okay, so thank you everyone for joining us out there live on Facebook. My name is Ernestine Lyons and I am the host of Quick to Politic, the social commentary show that explores history, politics, and all things uh, global meets local. So I have a very esteemed, very special guest here, uh, the host of Authentically Detroit. Uh, we have Orlando Bailey and we have Donna Givens Davidson. So um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read a little bit about them respectively, of course. So um Donna Givens Davidson is the president and CEO of Eastside Community Network. Um, and she has served in that role since 2016. Um, and has secured more than $2 million in funding for sustainability efforts and all of the community engagement. Um, and she has more than 35 years of nonprofit leadership experience. Um, and then she's also a lecturer at Columbia uh, School of Professional Studies. Did I read that right? When uh -huh. do you have time to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> So that's a very busy woman. I'm super excited to have her here on uh, Quick to Politic. And in addition, we have Orlando Bailey, and um, he is an award-winning journalist, um, Emmy Award-winning, I believe it is, uh -huh, and is passionate um, and an advocate for the residents of the city of Detroit and their lived experience. And of course, um, you know, you've been engaging in the art of storytelling um, since the days of Cornelia. Netta Lane's dinner for 30s and that's when I first met you <laughs> and he was he was just a real you know treat to be a part of that and um, you I have to say you have a real knack for storytelling I'm a fan of the authentically Detroit podcast so um one tell me a little bit more about yourselves and we'll start with you Donna and then you know if I missed anything um Donna and Orlando please tell us about yourselves and um and then tell us a little bit more about the story of authentically Detroit Okay. I've been at this for a while. You know, I um, start, got started in the 1980s um, um, at a pandemic time when it was um, HIV AIDS. I worked in an HIV AIDS prevention organization that was grass started health department and um, had a real opportunity to work with people from all walks and build the um, build synergy around efforts to uh, make change in our community. And I am proud to say that I was part of efforts that kept um, HIV AIDS from really exploding in our community like many others. So we had it, lots of people died, but even the um, data around what Detroit was gonna like, um, many more predicted to, uh, lives were predicted to have been lost. So COVID-19, where we had um, many more deaths than we should have with, we did not. 
And a lot of that had to do with the fact that people work together to um, educate and to um, come up with ways to intervene. Um, so that got me started. I've worked with a number of nonprofits, um, left for a while. I managed charter schools, came back to nonprofits. I actually got my start at Warren Connor Development Coalition, which is the legal name for Eastside Community Network in 1993, um, working with Nikki DeSantis, who is, you know, a great teacher of community development and ways to build power in the community, and Angela Brown Wilson, who is another great leader, uh, who now serves the COO, um, very passionate about causes things where um, finally the politics of our time have caught up to, I'm finally feeling like I'm in sync with local politics, or at least with the young people. Um, <laughs> even though I'm far from millennial, I think that I've been trying to fight um, some of the battles around respectability, around um, economic justice and social justice, all of my life. You know, sometimes it feels like you're swimming upstream. Um, but at, at, at this point in time in 2022, um, people are starting to see the impact of a lot of policies that um, they were blind to in the past, and we're now starting to work on them. And um, when you talk about when I sleep, I'm really passionate about these causes, about teaching, about learning, about gathering people together, and about trying to make change where we can, because I continue to believe that there are better ways for us to um, inter interact in our communities, and there are better things that we can strive for um, from a political policy standpoint, but we can't do it if we continue to be blinded to um, the truth. So I, I see myself as wanting to speak truth to power at every um, opportunity. And so I was really fortunate to not only join Eastside Community Network, but to be introduced to Orlando Bailey, who at that time was a community engagement coordinator. Um, and you know we just connected. And so Orlando, it's on you. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, you know, I like to say that um, we know that it takes a village to raise a child, and I am a product of an amazing village, um, a village of men and women in my family, but also a village of men and women in community. Uh, Eastside Community Network is an organization that I literally grew up in, uh, started in the Youth and Education Program when I was uh yay high, maybe 11 years old. And they, they could never get rid of me. <laughs> um, and so when I, when I got home from uh, college in 2011, and I needed a job, because um, I couldn't get a job in broadcasting, because uh, the, the, the route to that would have been me leaving Detroit to start in a smaller market. And I had no desire whatsoever to leave the city of Detroit. Maggie DeSantis gave me a job and continued on in her role as one of my greatest teachers um, in the community development sector. But it was at my, it was during my time at Eastern Michigan University where I watched Detroit from down the street on 994 at Ipsy uh, go through a series of changes um, from municipal corruption probes to, you know, overturning uh, a couple times over to a brand new city council uh, to us headed into the largest municipal bankruptcy that this nation had ever seen, uh, seeing uh, democratic power uh, stripped away from black people in the city of Detroit and watching watching this really this snowball effect of narrative and storytelling about my city about my family, about the people who raised me, 
um, being the personification of death, decay, and dilapidation, which I knew was diametrically opposed to my Detroit experience. And so as I'm studying journalism at Eastern Michigan University, I began to study the narratives about Detroit and why that was. And even though I came home and worked in community development for eight years, that skill, that active listening, that framing, that storytelling is something that I employed throughout all of my years there to not only build relationships, but to amplify the voice and expertise of the resident as expertise, not alternative expertise, not, uh, you know, not professional expertise, but expertise, period. And it was in uh, 2020 where I officially made the switch uh, to the industry of journalism, uh, going to work for BridgeDetroit.com. Um, and, you know, the rest is history. But even, even while still at ECM, Donna and I, Donna let me spread my wings a little bit uh, and, you know, really allowed me to produce you know, the Authentically Detroit podcast and co-founded it with her in 2019. And we did not know what we were doing. And we did not know that it would become a mainstay when we talk about the discourse in the city of Detroit, right? Um, a teaching tool for anybody who wants to learn about the city of Detroit. I'm constantly hearing, hey, uh, I gave someone your podcast who wants to know more about the city of Detroit. I don't take that. Um, lightly. Um, and I also began at, you know, Donna's encouragement and support, uh, convening people to have critical conversations about cities with the urban consulate. Um, and so really, uh, you know, coming into my own there and being able to blossom afterward. But it is a result of amazing teaching and mentorship, first of uh, Maggie DeSantis, but then Donna Gibbons-Davidson. She was my CEO, but she was my mentor. She was one of my great, is still one of my greatest teachers. And now I'm super privileged that I'm able to call her my friend um, and colleague. So, you know, um, Orlando and I um, used to talk a lot. Um, I talk a lot anyway um, about politics. And, um, you know, so we talk a lot about what was going on in the community. And there's so many things that we wish people knew, right? We used to have, the organization used to have the pipeline newspaper. This great big picture to actually ship our newspaper overseas and have them print them here and, and, and pass them on the community so that we can inform the community so that we could um, help to shape the narrative around some of these stories. And all the news was not coming from these, you know, um, commercial news stations. Before um, I got to see in the pipeline, sort of um, people stopped reading newspapers as much, the cost was too high. And the question was, how do we communicate now? And we thought podcasting, right? What if we had a podcast? I might also earlier a year, maybe before I started these tours. I just wanted to say that um, you're breaking up just a little bit, Donna. Um, but I think that, you know, in the meantime, you, you definitely hit a very good point about, and you guys chose the perfect time for, to launch the podcast in 2019 so that it was, you know, there once folks needed it during the pandemic, when we couldn't gather to have those conversations, like, you know, at the urban consulate. And I just wanted to interject and say that, you know, it's just like a perfect timing for those conversations. Yeah, it really was. Um, but, you know, we really just That's wanted to communicate. I'm, I'm sorry, I turned off my photo. Hopefully that improves the um, quality. Yes, yes. But, um, but, you know, we really just wanted to communicate public, right? We really just had some conversations we wanted to share 
with the people in our community. And we thought, let's talk about the kinds of issues we talk about in the conference room, water cooler conversations for us. And um, some people might be like, water cooler conversations? That's what you all talk about around water cooler. <laughs> no real housewives. Yeah, that's what we're into. Like, let's talk about this issue. They, they were conference room conversations because we would be uh, in that conference room for hours. For hours, right? And then we just, you know, and so over the years, I've been on um, many people's shows. I've been on Let It Rip. I've been on Steve, uh, late Steve Hood, who used to have a number of shows. Um, the Whenever I'm on, was on those shows, people say, you should, you should have your own show. <laughs> I was on NAM, you know, a few times. You should have your own show. Um, but I was never really interested in working for that kind of media. Um, the idea of the podcast was sort of liberating because we could speak our truth and not have to worry about other people really controlling the narratives and selling to advertisers and all that kind of stuff that kinds of censors you and it says oh well you can't say that because our sponsors or because our advertisers and the station won't like that exactly and so we want really want to be free and we want to talk to interesting people some of the interesting people we talk to all of the time and let other people hear about it i think it would not it, it's it, there's nothing more true than the fact that we were completely shocked when we found out that fun listening and we found out people who work for the city of detroit were listening and actually liking our show like, um, in um, Scotland reached out to me a couple years ago and said, hey, we listen to you all the time, You're suggesting things to me. I'm like, what is going on? Um, I, one of our friends, there was somebody from France who was listening. And so um, you Google, you see Detroit and he comes for every letter in the alphabet. So maybe that helps, but we started getting a following. <laughs> No, I, I think it's it's authentic conversation. And honestly, like as a fan of the show, right after like the um, primary election, which, you know, I couldn't wait to hear your hot take on it. And you know, of course, that, that's going to be one of the questions that comes up tonight, too. Uh, I kind of want to know what you guys, you know, uh, think how the, how the election is going to going to go and um, thoughts on all of that. And, uh, you know, but it, it's just like, it's where people want to head to, to find out what the real conversation is and what real Detroiters think, because, you know, Orlando kind of touched on something where, um, you know, it's it's about engaging the people and it's about including the the, the people of Detroit in these conversations. Um, and I've been around a lot of tables and at the convert, you know, sitting at the table and having these conversations with, you know, leadership and leaders in Detroit and fancy people sitting around kind of trying to figure out what is the future of Detroit's workforce? What is the future of Detroit's, you know, economic development? And, you know, you can't necessarily prescribe solutions without engaging the people and having these direct conversations with community leaders who are on the ground doing the work. And so, you know, I really commend you guys for, you know, I mean, like, I can't say it any other way, have an authentic Detroit conversation with people that, yeah, that really are doing the work. Who better to, you know, advise on how to solve issues and problems than uh, the residents and the people who are directly experiencing the issue, the problem, the inequity. Oh my gosh, they have ideas. And it's a shocker to so many people within the chambers of power 
And so even with how uh, ECN's work is structured, especially when we talk about the Lower East Side Action um, Plan Coalition, all of that work is completely resident driven, right? When we talk about thinking about the future directions of neighborhoods and what we want our neighborhoods to be, we arm residents with the information needed to make intelligent decisions. And guess what? They make amazing decisions. The boards and the steering committees and the subcommittees of uh, the LEAP Coalition are all chaired and convened by residents, right? And so there is, I think that's the magic, right? I remember uh, speaking, you know, as uh, the chief development officer at ECN around a lot of co at conferences and things that were happening around town, telling them just, you know, how we do it. And people were flabbergasted that we're able to do it. And I'm saying to them, y'all, what other way is there? There is no other way. But you guys think no almost way. all the conversations about Detroit, this helps. I moved to another room, come from a deficit standpoint, right? What's wrong with Detroit? What's wrong with so I don't think it job training. We put the onus of racism and injustice on the people who are impacted by racism and injustice and not by the people who create and maintain systems of racism and injustice. And so when you come at it from the narrative stance of our people are great, our people are wonderful, our people are survivors, our people are creators, our people are creative and our people are loving and our people are joyful, our people are good, then you have to say there's gotta be some other explanation for the brokenness. It's not the people, it's the systems and the you know conditions exactly. that people are in. And so if you really believe in the people, let them lead. We have done so many exciting things, building capacity in people, watching them blossom. Um, it is the most exciting part of every day for me when I see a resident who we've invested training in, who we've given a little bit of money to, $2,000, $3,000 to work on their dream, taking that dream to new realities, getting honored on in many stages in the city of Detroit, attracting new funding, bringing neighbors around and showing, look what I can do if you give me a chance. And these are everyday average Detroiters because the average Detroiter has capacity. Got to stop internalizing messages that some of us are smart and some of us aren't. Some of us are good, some of us aren't. A small minority of people who are not working trying to make good things happen. And I'm going to say this final thing: when the city turned out the lights to, to talk, when Bankruptcy happened, Detroiters stood tall. We would not have the Detroit we have without people putting their eyes on the streets and making sure good things happen. And it says my internet is unstable. I apologize for that. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, we we heard the message loud and clear where it's just like, you know, and I love that you said, you know, we have to stand tall because there are so many systems at play that folks don't necessarily realize that you know, you can't just say that a group it's, oh, it's your problem or it's your fault that the city is this way. Or, you know, you you can't do all of this, you know, buck passing and scapegoating because when are you actually engaging with folks to see, you know, how they're making their communities better, you know, in their own ways. And I remember being on a call where, you know, there was like this, this conversation around like, how do we make things better? And it's, it's by not bringing in people with master's degrees to tell us, you know, what their urban planning studies said that you should do to make your city work. It's, you know, 
all cities engage in master planning. All cities should be collecting that feedback from the residents and seeing what they're already doing that's working and applying that to the systems that can help to foster, you know, that sense of, okay, well, this is what the residents said they want to do. This is what they're willing to do. And this is how we're going to, you know, row in the same direction with the resources that can come with, say, some fancy person, you know, with a master's degree in planning all of this data and everything. Let's like, yes, let's mine this data. Yes, let's use the, the tools, but let's also get input from the people who are on the ground doing the work. If any Black person in the United States whose families have been here for a while, just about any, not every single one, goes back a couple of generations, our people were working as laborers, our people were enslaved, our people were working sharecropping on farms. Are we thinking that intelligence just entered our family lives when we went to college? Are we thinking that our great-grandfathers weren't as smart as we were, our great-grandmothers weren't as loving as we are? Or do we accept the narrative that the difference between them and us is opportunity? And that some people who are walking right alongside us right now don't have that opportunity in 2022. And if we... It looks like, it looks like Donna uh, has her internet connection may be a little spotty, but I think I, can, I think I can finish the point for her because her internet uh, went out and it, 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 it is an assault to our ancestors, right? To say that uh, we have come into knowledge and we have come into expertise because we have a piece of paper that says we have a degree or some sort of expert you know act traditional academic expertise um and i think that the way that you know authentically detroit um and the way that um i think donna and i both approach our work um number one is honoring our ancestors who were locked out of that opportunity but still um may do uh, still survived. In order to survive some of the systems that are habitually uh, offending and oppressing us, right? There is there is a level of there is a level of intelligence. There is a level of skill and uh, stick-to-itiveness that is required. There is a level of rigor um, that is required, and so. Uh, we want to honor that. And so many of our residents carry that same spirit. So many of our residents on the east side have the spirit of grandma and the spirit of grandpa uh, and great granny. And for me, as a storyteller, as a journalist, it is my, I see it as my job and duty to ensure that that voice, that perspective is on the record. Because years from now, there may be a curious little boy who reminds, who will remind me of myself as a curious little kid, looking for um, his stock, looking for affirmation of who he is, and really couldn't find it. Um, but the, what we are doing, and I think what we're trying to do, is when... Donna's great-great-grandchild types her name in the search bar on Google years from now. They're going to see her. They're going to hear her. They're going to hear her expertise. They're going to hear what she stood for. They're going to hear the residents that she talked to and the resident voice that we amplify. And that is so powerful. 
they're going to hear the abundance that Donna was talking about, not the deficit, but we start, we start out of this place of asset. We start out of this place of abundance and we are an amazing people. Yeah. I was, I was in a meeting today and somebody was asking about how um, the families were doing, how the people were doing in their community. And um, one person spoke up and they talked about what everybody didn't have, what they couldn't do, what they weren't. And it was so negative. And so I was trying to figure out how I was supposed to respond to that same question. And um, I understand people struggle. I know people are lacking things, but it was really hard for me to think of people through the lens of deprivation and not having, they don't have adequate housing in a lot of instances, people don't, but that's not how I see people. And I think people don't want to be seen that way. I think people want you to see their struggles, but they want to be seen as whole. Was well, really, really interesting. Did we lose you? All right. Oh, um, Orlando, I think you got we, we gotta do this again. We just we <laughs> yes, like, yes, we, we do. Yes, we do. Exactly. <laughs> like, or uh in person, or maybe I don't know, like I come and 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 join you guys. But yeah. uh um I kind of wanted to pivot into um another question that's kind of a two-parter. So um, I know that one of the folks who was super excited and saw you guys were going to be on Quick to Politics and was like, oh, my favorite people from Authentically Detroit. She wanted to know how can the average Detroiter become more civically engaged? And I wanted to add in to that, you know, what would be the mission, vision and kind of like impact long term of Authentically, Detroit has existed for, you know, since 2019. And so in 10 years down the line, what will exist because Authentically Detroit sparked the right conversations and, you know, made an impact? And because of the existence, now we can blank. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think uh, to the first question of what one can do to become more civically engaged, number one, listen to the podcast. <laughs> but I would say, um, you know, the second the second thing is to ascertain uh, one's capacity uh, to engage, right, and 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 work that capacity, right. You know, a lot of a lot of things. It's so funny. Sometimes our civic infrastructure is set up in a way that could be really, really inconvenient to the working person, right? If it's not their job to be like this uh, civic participator. Um, because there are so many things that happen throughout the you day. You got work, you got kids, yeah. responsibility. Ah, then you you know you got kids, but. I would really, you know, challenge uh, the listener to ascertain where they can plug in and remain plugged in, right? Um, so if you got a job, but, you know, you, there, there are opportunities to sort of, you know, volunteer. I know ECN has Hope Days where they are enrolling folks in the HP TAP uh, tax, uh, poverty exemption um poverty tax exemption uh, program. You know, they're always looking for volunteers there. Uh, I would say, um, you, even on the civic infrastructure, you know, a big spoke in civic infrastructure is information, right? How can we democratize information to ensure that people have access, right? There are so many opportunities uh, to help disseminate information to your neighbors that can help uh, them toward thriving in their neighborhoods that can help them achieve a better 
uh, quality of life, whether you want to volunteer with a nonprofit newsroom like Bridge Detroit or Outlier Media, there are many uh, information houses that are seeking to reach um, so many Detroiters, right? Especially those who are extremely hard to reach. Uh, as for impact, I will say for, for the podcast, and um, I'll, of, of course, allow Donna uh, to cast her vision, but I think Number one, the impact is already there. What I am seeing, this is, this is, this, so I gauge impact a few ways. And one of them is this. Donna and I, every week, release a podcast where we opine and provide our commentary and ask rigorous questions around the happenings in and within the city of Detroit, right? One of the metrics by which I gauge impact is if my thoughts that I've articulated over the airwaves come back to me, right? If it comes back to me, if I see my thought, my vision espoused in someone else. Or right? it's an action plan. It's in somebody's it's plan, plan of action somebody's or their plan. development. It That's impact when people are migrating to the city of Detroit. And they say one of the first things that I did was listen to authentically Detroit, to learn about Detroit, that's impact. When I had the opportunity to interview the director of uh, planning and development for the city of Detroit and pressed him on why we don't have an updated master plan and how much money would it take for us to actually get that uh, master plan uh, at least started and he gave a number and then a city council person heard that and put that number in the budget so that oh, we right. can embark upon a master plan for the city of Detroit that is impact and so years out I'm still I'm still stuck on today I'm still stuck on next month but when we're talking about uh, you know what we want impact to be just that we still want to be impactful. We still want to be impactful in the halls of power. We still want to have a commentary that influences, right, the, the way that people approach and think about their work. We still want to provide commentary and opinions and questioning that influences where money goes, where resources go in this city, right? Um, I can, Donna tells this story all the time and she's not here to tell it, so I'll tell it. Um, you know, when the when Kresge Foundation first launched its Kresge Innovative Project uh, money, right, and it was going to organizations like ECN and organizations like Jefferson East Inc., really, really established nonprofit organizations that had multiple uh, buckets of funding from different funders, but I was seeing work on part of grassroots organizations and residents that really desperately could use that money and wasn't getting it. And so I told Brian Hogle at the Kresge Foundation, hey, you need to figure out how to open this up and democratize it because there are so many people doing the work who ain't getting funded or recognized. And he did just that. That's impact, right? Donna he, said- That's Donna powerful. Was, Donna would say, I, <laughs> ECN didn't get a check because of me. <laughs> but- our partners on the grass tops level did. That's impact. And so we will want to see more of that in the next decade. 
All right. All right. And you know what? And that is that is beautiful, especially because like right there when you were like, OK, a you know, I pressed, you know, the department head for planning and development. And then, you know, a city council person was listening. And then, of course, it ended up being a line item in the city's budget. You know, that's powerful. That's impactful. And I think that you you were right. It, it's like it's more about the right now, because sometimes I think we, you know, underestimate what we can do in 10 years and overestimate what we can do in like one year. And we kind of get so, you know, caught up in the minutia that we lose sight of, you know, okay, well, the actions right now, all it all it takes is to keep moving forward. So I, I think that that's, that's truly a powerful way to, you know, for, for not only Detroiters to recognize, you know, how to to be involved and kind of ties into um Deanne's question of like how to how to like you know be oh that's involved. Deanne that asked that question yeah yeah she was yep 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 Deanne Austin uh so yeah, and, and you know even just to tack on to that I think uh, a lot of people's first stop is your local community development organization go in mm -hmm. and see what they're doing and what they're offering um and the local uh, planning commissions and seeing like how you because I joined the planning commission here in Harper Woods just because I wanted to be involved in politics and uh you know so it, it's just it that's how you can the little things the little things to join to be you know kind of plugged in and you know we do have lives that are going on but you know you 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 have to do your part because then you can inform somebody else and somebody else hears a little something that you're doing. And, you know, then they kind of, it reverberates and it's, it becomes this ripple effect where, you know, you don't realize what an impact you're making and this is why you don't stop. And, you know, I really appreciate like what you guys do because it's so hard when it comes to even like little local elections and I'm going to um, get into like your hot take and, you know, I, I hope we can try to get Donna back. Maybe she can call in, Donna, but yeah, yeah. she's on her way back. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Because I want to know like a hot take on the election. And that was the one place, like I knew I wasn't going to be able to find it on the news. I knew I wasn't going to be able to find, especially talking about, you know, state rep races, talking about state house races, you know, people were going to talk about Congress and things like that, but not even to the degree where it's, you know, just unfiltered, you know, and you guys had a guest the, um, after, um, I, and I, I, her name escapes me, but, and, you know, she was so, you know, opinionated about what happened with, you know, the race between like Portia and Adam and Shree and, you know, that not a lot of folks are happy with the outcome, you know, of that election, no matter what side you were batting for. And, you know, so what are your takes on Detroit's representation moving forward with, you know, the congressional races and, you know, then the, you know, just the election in general with some of the um, ballot proposals, um, the governor's race, and just kind of want to know your opinions on how it's all going to, uh, you know, pan out. Well, um, we, we know that uh, the, the 13th congressional race uh, feels like it was pretty much decided in the primary uh, with uh, Sri Tanadar beating out uh, State uh, Senator Adam Olier and Focus Hope CEO Portia Roberson. But there is uh, a challenger on the ballot in the person of Martel Bivings, who is running as a Republican, and he um, is a resident of the east side of Detroit. 
um, really, really interesting to, you know, sit with this question of black man and Republican, right? And how 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 does that happen? <laughs> right, and, right. And I've I've known Mar uh, Martel from a few spaces where he worked with um, EGC, and um, yeah, yeah. Because right now we are carrying this tension of um, the lack of Black congressional representation out of the state of Michigan, specifically out of the city of Detroit. And uh, does Martel Bivings fit uh, the, the kind of representation that Detroit would want in a Black person? That will be decided um, in November. I think if Shri advances uh, to DC, at least for the next two years, we have to figure out how to work with this man. We have to figure out how to keep him accountable um, and engage once again in rigorous questions um, about him, his policies, his politics, um, and how he leverages and utilizes um, his vote. Um, along with what his constituent services will look like on the ground. Uh, you know, the 12th district, you know, uh, Rashida Tlaib, for, current Congresswoman has a challenger. Um, it doesn't look like it's gonna be close. Um, so what does, what does that look like? Rashida Tlaib, North Street Tanadar, are, they're not black, but they're also not white. And so that also, um, that, you know, I'm sorry to cut in. It's just like so this whole person white. of color. Yes. Yeah. So that that's a level of nuance that also needs to be named there. It also needs to be named that we understand that uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, pisses off a lot of black political elite um, and they have a lot, you know, to say about that. Right. But the black voter electorate loves her. What, so what's missing? You understand what I'm saying? And, you know, the other hot take that I'll offer really quickly um, for this election is that, you know, I think Detroiters are more likely to come in contact with a judge on the bench of 36th district than they are to meet Governor Whitmer, the Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, or any of their state representatives and state senators. Who the heck are these people on the ballot running um, uncontested uh, for these seats in these judgeships, right? These are the people that are deciding um, our future. These are people that are deciding uh, and making decisions that will have economic implications for our lives. These are the people that are deciding whether or not we will have driver's licenses or not. And will are we going to be- right. How punitive are we going to be in the judicial work. These are the people that are sentencing our loved ones, right? For, mm -hmm. You know, in misdemeanor cases and in criminal cases. Who are these folks? <laughs> and have they come to you? And what kind of questions are you asking? I think for so long, we've gone, we've gotten along just to get along without really deepening um, our engagement with these names that are on this ballot. I'm saying no more. I am saying no more. We are more, young people are more than, I was 19 years old when I went in front of uh, a judge in traffic court, scared to death. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, I don't have a lawyer. And I'm standing, you know, and there's a whole process, right? Who who does who decides the rules and how the 36th district courthouse 
um, shows up. It's punitive. And some, you ever been to 36th district? It's inhumane how we're treated sometimes. It's really just get in, get out. And like, you can't speak, you can't talk. You got to follow the lines. Exactly. And, and it's just, it's you know, exactly. very, I, there's no empathy there. And I say no more. I say no more. Who are these people? Are we inviting them to our forums? Are we inviting them to show up in the community, not just to smile and kiss babies and have a photo op so that we can say the judge was there? Oh, no. Let's engage in rigorous dialogue because these people are deciding the future of our families, of our lives, of our economic states. Right. And that can't go unnamed any longer. That's a good point. That's a good point. Like, um, have... Uh, you know, have you guys had a chance to speak with any of the judicial candidates, you know, or have they like accepted any, you know, we have not. But what I know is that uh, the candidates for 36 district are all guaranteed to come in because there's no, no one really contesting it, right, especially the incumbents, right. Um, and so these are people that the people on the ballot are going to be people on the bench after November for the most part, we still, even after the election, need to be having these conversations. And I hope we can get at that. I think so. I think so. And especially because like, you know, especially with the congressional races, these are two year spots and, you know, we really have to get together. And I think that it'll be important going forward that you don't have, you know, black representation splitting the vote and you don't have, you know, so many candidates. And, you know, I don't know, I'm kind of torn because Everybody has a right to run for office. Everybody, you know, when I ran for mayor, people were saying, oh, why did you want to challenge, you know, another black woman? Why did you want to? Because, you know, it's a democracy. And, you know, we we all have a right to get out there and, you know, present our best, you know, plan for the future, the community and for what we would like to materialize. And, you know, but it, it's still it's it's when it's that important I think that there has to be a little bit more consensus and, you know, but in some cases there was, you know, there was, there was like, was it it though, you know, like I'll I'll push back on that consistent consensus point for a little bit and in the person of Adam Olier and Adam Olier is a friend to authentically Detroit. He he comes on all the time and we spar with him when we disagree and we, I used to work for Adam, I you know, helped him with his podcast. And so, to what end does a Warren Evans reserve the right to yield political influence and, and say, this is the guy we picked without, you know, in, in my opinion, um, you know, Democrat, you know, real Democratic and representative representation in that group that was majority men, right? And uh, old guard. Well, you know, you can't with without, you know, a real process and doing more to just say, well, you know, everyone was welcome, you know, after the fact, um, put a candidate in front of folks and say, this is who we say you need to vote for. So just do it. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work that way. And so I hope that we can learn a lesson from that. Right, that uh, the political old guard and the political tide and will of the voters is changing. Right, uh, right. we don't have um, you know folks in our community anymore that can like like Comey Young used to do and say, "Hey, here's who you need to put in office," and we're like, "Okay, that's that's who we're going for." Folks have to provide answers 
Adam Ollier has to had to provide an answer for his voting in legislative record in the state Senate. Adam Ollier has to had to provide an answer for uh, APAC money coming into his campaign, right? There were there were so many reasons. Adam Ollier had to provide an answer to women who felt sort of uh, marginalized by the process that anointed him the candidate, right? Um, and you know, and he and he does, and he provides those answers. I don't know if the electorate feels like that is sufficient. That's up to him and the electorate to decide. But you know, this the political tide is changing, and we have to speak differently. We have to engage differently, and we have to find and come up with a consensus differently than in times past. Right. And you you hit on, uh, well, Donna did talk about this earlier about like challenging respectability politics. And then you hit on a point about how Rashida is beloved by, you know, the base, the voter base, you know, the constituents, but the, you know, black political elite kind of, you know, they don't necessarily always get along. And maybe it could be that the times have changed. And so that that same weight and that gravitas that they once had, you know, in the days of combing young, it you know, it doesn't necessarily politics don't move that way anymore. And, you know, it 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 has to play differently now. And so we have to find a middle ground. And we need black representation. I'm not saying that we don't need it. Right. But, you know, I, I I would say this with our current representation in the person of Rashida Tlaib. Rashida Tlaib is a born and raised Detroiter. She's a Detroiter. <laughs> She's not a white person. She's a person of color. And her constituency and voter base feel like she represents their interests in D.C. All right. She's a, she's a fighter. She's a fighter. Fighter, we can and we can continue to hold her accountable and ask rigorous questions. I'm going to be interviewing Representative Talib tomorrow morning. Um, she may not like some of the questions that I have to ask her, but you know these are questions that um, that will and need to be asked. And so remain engaged, even if your candidate doesn't win. If Sri Tanadar, you know, wins to the detriment of a, a large amount of people, stay engaged stay engaged and figure and organize now. Two years is no time from now, right? No exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. Well, we're going to wrap things up, but I do want to get like, since we're talking about the political hot takes, um, I am Miss International. I love all things global. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you've been following, but the UK just went through some stuff where Liz Truss only lasted 44 days in office um, as prime minister. And now we have the first um, brown person, uh, first person of color uh, in Rishi Sunak um, of the new prime minister. And already we've had some folks say like, oh, well, he's a, you know, he won't represent British people well because he doesn't look like you know what Britain looks like and I'm just like uh, okay colonialism um now you know how it feels but <laughs> I just want to know like what are your thoughts on the state of the UK they're they're dealing with a lot of you know energy issues they're dealing with you know they're really feeling the impact of Brexit so um what are your thoughts on the recent developments there well you know they're feeling the impact of Brexit because they continue to elect um you know these really um on the political spectrum white right wing um you know political leaders who are uh, polarizing and make 
what I feel sometimes could, you know, decisions that are detrimental to the people on the ground in the UK, uh, they're seeing inflation uh, rise just like us. And they're also seeing costs go up uh, as a result of Russia's war in Ukraine. Rishi Sunak is of that, of that same, you know, uh, conservative right-wing stock Right. And so I don't know um, what will happen. We'll have to see what happens. We saw Liz Truss um, fire her Treasury Secretary um, over there that spent the econ- that made the economy spiral um, uh, in a really rapid pace. Uh, the budget that she presented was one that worried a lot of. Uh, folks within uh, the parliament over there. And so for me, it's to be continued. I am watching it closely. I'm also an international nerd. I don't know if you know this, but I am a Marshall Memorial uh, fellow alum with the German Marshall Fund of the United States. And so I'm all about Really? Oh, wow. Atlantic uh, relationship strengthening and keeping um, in touch with what is happening over there. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned right now, the only conversation that I'm hearing about uh, Rishi Sunak is not one about his policies and what he would do, but one about his uh, Indian heritage and one about his looks. They think he's attractive. Oh. All right. So once we get once we get past that, what you going to do? Right. Right. <laughs> it's not about like, you know, oh, well, this and that. And, and even sometimes, you know, representation does matter. But like, Absolutely. you know, once you get past that symbolicness of you you being the first, it's still, you have a job, you have a job to do. And, you know, that's important. We, you know, need folks to step up and they can't just, you know, rest on their laurels and be like, I'm the first, I'm the first, you and know, it's, it's fractured. So he's going to have to figure out how to unite the party because the conservative party is severely fractured over there. And I cannot wait to see uh, what comes out of 10 Downing street. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I want to thank you. Oh, thank you so much for your, your hot take on the UK politics. And I'm so excited that I could nerd out with somebody else on this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, so interested to see like what's going on and like so much turmoil and, and, and change in such a short period of time and uh you know this giant is uh just going through so much but um yes thank you for you know engaging in the conversation and um i know that i wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about you know uh intergenerational conversations uh and, you know, just kind of talking about like, uh, I believe Donna's in the, you know, Gen X generation and you're a millennial. The last of the boomers. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, she barely okay. made it. She oh, barely okay. Made barely made it into like, okay. All right. So she's Gen X adjacent boomer. Okay. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about that because I think it's important, um, you know, to really start to focus also on, you know, Gen Z rising, they're entering in the workforce, they're in their 20s now. And, you know, those are important conversations, but um, we're definitely gonna have to have part two. So um, I want to thank you and Donna for being on the show. And thank you all um, the viewers out there for for tuning in on Facebook and for watching this uh, on uh, YouTube as well. In addition, um, thank you for all the listeners out there um, for the Quick to Politic podcast. And I want to say good night to everyone. And thank you so much. And the live is ended. All right. And thank you, YouTube. And um, remember to like, comment, and subscribe. In addition to um, listening to Authentically Detroit, tell us where we can find you guys. 
So you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, all of all of the places. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And I'm going to make sure that we get that in the uh, live on Facebook and everything. So um, thank you all for tuning in. And this has been a wonderful episode. Thank you guys so much um, from Authentically Detroit to uh, Quick to Politics. And thank you guys so much for being my guests. And uh, have a great night. Thank <laughs> you.